Good morning. It's great to see you today. Welcome, welcome. If you're new here today, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors, and it's great to have you join us. Uh, Probably one of the more iconic bands in Canada is a band by the name of the Tragically Hip. Uh, They were kind of popular when I was in middle school and high school in particular. And it's a band that's been around for a long time, multiple decades. Uh, Back in 2017, the lead singer of the band, Gord Downey, was diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer and was told that he only had so many months to live. And so the band decided to do what only a rock band would do, one more tour. And so they went out on a 15-city tour while Gord was kind of in his last days with cancer fighting along. Uh, One of those shows was in Winnipeg, and Jill and I and our family were in vacation in Manitoba that summer. We saw the dates and figured it out, and my sisters and I and our spouses, we decided to get tickets to go. So we were a part of that iconic final series of tours by this band in in Winnipeg in that July of 2017. Uh, One of the things that's unique about this band is their longevity. They've been a band for 33 years, which in like normal human years is like 100 years, because bands are notorious for breaking up, imploding, fighting, splitting, wanting to kill each other, and kind of just failing at some point. The average life size of a band is about seven years. And so this band has been together for 33 years. So they interviewed Gord Downey one day, and they said, what's the secret to the band's success. How is it that this band has managed to stay together for 33 years? And his answer was profound, and it was simple. And he simply said, we just decided not to quit. We just decided not to quit. We've been talking in this series these last number of weeks about what you love. What is it that you love? We are human beings have been created to worship something. You are what you worship. You become like the thing that is most important to you. It begins to shape our lives, our priorities, and our attitudes. And one of the most powerful gifts that God gives to each and every one of us is that we get to choose what it is that we will love, what it is that we will make the center of our lives. And I hope that you've been taking some time to think about it. What is it that I love more than anything else? What's the engine that runs under the hood of my life? What is it that always wins when push comes to shove between competing beliefs or competing things? What is it that always gets the win? And we said last week in particular, talked about that, you know, in our culture, we're told, follow your hearts, just go wherever your hearts leads, do whatever your heart says. And I want to tell you, that's really bad pastoral advice. Your heart will bully you into the most foolish of decisions. Instead, we choose what we want our heart to love. And then we train our heart through the habits that we establish. This is how discipleship works. You choose what it is that you want to be at the very center of your life. And then you reinforce that decision through the kind of habits that will train your heart to love the thing that it wants. You choose it first. It's the most important step. And that would, as we study the scriptures, and my hope that even as we are talking here today, this vision of who Jesus is and what he wants for your life would captivate you. And you would say, I want that. That vision of life is greater than anything I can cook up on my own, and that we would choose it, and then the Holy Spirit would just help us as we choose the kind of habits to reinforce that choice, because it won't automatically happen. In the same way, as I've been saying to you again and again, you don't wake up someday and suddenly realize you're ready to run a marathon. It takes intentional effort if you want to move in that way. 
And in the same way, it's true of discipleship. Imagine for a second if you kind of went to school and you said, I want to be a computer programmer. And so you're enrolled in school and you were taking classes and reading books and spending all day in front of a computer screen. And then you kind of got partway into the program and you realized, I don't like this. This isn't me. This is not what I want to do. And so you choose instead and say, you know what? I want to be an artist. That's more in line with who I am. And so you choose to be an artist. But imagine if you keep going to computer programming classes and you keep reading computer programming textbooks and you keep spending all day in front of the computer screen, you're never going to get to where you want to go. And for some of us, this has been our journey of faith. We've chosen to love God. We really have. But we've not really aligned our lives with the appropriate habits to train our heart to love him more. And so our spiritual life feels difficult and always uphill. We feel like everything is a struggle. And it's probably because we've chosen the right thing, but we've never really done the heavy lifting to have the habits that will reinforce that choice. Now, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago after the first Sunday, and they said to me, you know, Pastor Rob, I went home, and like on on Wednesday of that week, I just kind of had a moment, and I realized my spiritual life was off course, that I was struggling, and my faith was stale, and so they said, I kind of made a decision one morning while I was praying and reading my Bible, I just said, Lord, you know, I just, I want you to know that I love you, and I'm choosing to place you at the center of my heart. And I knew it was going to come next, so I kind of was deciding to tease them in this very sacred moment. Um, and I said, I guess, let me guess what happened. Angels started to sing. You started to speak in tongues. You went to work that day, and all that came out was just praise songs. And every day since, it's just gotten easier and easier, and the Lord's will has become clearer and clearer, and you're just exploding with worship and joy for him each and every day, right? To which they said, No. No, it's been difficult. I made the choice one day, and then the next day, it was really difficult, and I had to make it again and again and again. See, the reality is the most important things in life, those priorities that are most central to us, we have to choose them again and again And again, it's not just a one-time decision. We know this because we're still in the last days of probably having any hope of keeping our New Year's resolutions. And maybe if you made a resolution this year to say, I'm going to go back to the gym, and you got your gear, and you got a little kit bag and your water bottle and all your stuff, and you got it all ready, and you went the first day, and it was wonderful. You did it. And then the next day, the alarm went off, 6 a.m. You looked on your phone, and you saw it was minus 8 and it's pitch black outside, and it got difficult. And I'm guessing you just didn't leap out of bed and decide to run to the gym instead of drive and just continue going. No, you had to keep choosing, I want this, I want this, I want this. The same is true in marriage. You choose to love your spouse, and then you have to keep making the conscious decision again and again. You maybe have heard the story of the older couple who were out for supper, and they were sitting there eating their meal together, and they were both on their phones scrolling, not talking to each other one bit. And just off a few tables over, there was a young, newly married couple who were just staring into each other's eyes. And the husband of the young couple says to his bride, I love you. And the older couple hears this. The wife hears it and looks across the table at her husband, who's on his phone, and his beard's full of breadcrumbs. And she she looks at him and says, you know, you never tell me that you love me. 
And he, does, without even looking up from his phone, says to her, well, I told you on the day we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's probably not the best advice. We keep choosing those things that are most important to us. We have to keep telling our heart what it is we want it to be most devoted to. And loving God with all that we are requires an intentional effort over a lifetime. Or as Eugene Peterson said so beautifully, it's a long obedience in the same direction. The choice reinforced again and again. So why is it so hard? We make this choice, we really, really, really mean it. But then it's a struggle for us, and we have to keep choosing it again and again. Let me just suggest two reasons. Number one is life is hard. It's challenging to make this choice and keep it because life is hard. Probably the only time I will ever quote Mike Tyson from the platform, he's got this wonderful line. It says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. The idea being that as a boxer, you sit in the ring with your coach, you're kind of, you've worked out, you're just sitting there with a whiteboard and you've got a fight coming up and you're trying to decide, oh, this is how I'm going to win, I'm going to come out strong, or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you have this great plan of how it is you're going to take on your opponent. And then you're in the ring 10 seconds and the 280 pound person across from you punches you once in the head and suddenly your plan goes out the window. Some of you know this. You set a New Year's resolution for yourself to maybe work on your faith, to set it as a priority, to make worship a priority, to start some spiritual habits, to be more intentional about friendships in your life, to work on some sin that's been in your life. And then you get punched in the face. Something happened. Life happened. You got sick, your job changed, someone died, a relationship got complicated, and all of your plans, your good intention plans, went out the window. For some of you, the challenge has been that life is difficult, and so we have to choose again. For others, we forget the fact that before we became disciples of Jesus, we were enrolled in another school of discipleship, that all of life is ultimately vying for your heart's attention. And now as we become Christians, we're in the school of discipleship with Jesus, trying to learn from him. But we've been in another program our entire life. And all those habits and attitudes get carried into it. And there has to be a complete reworking of what's going on underneath the hood of our lives. The home that you grew up in, the school that you went to, your friends, all of the things that you have allowed into your mind have been discipling you into a specific vision of life. Social media is a discipleship program. And some of you were very devoted to it, two to three hours a day. But what's the vision of life it is cultivating in your heart? Last week, we talked about wealth and stuff and money and identity. And how, again, every message that you and I receive through commercials tells you that your worth is based on what you've achieved. Your identity is in what you look like. It's the air that we breathe. It's so hard to get away from. And it is a school of discipleship that is telling you how it is you can have life. Pornography is a discipleship program. It's teaching and discipling you how to see other people and where it is that you will find life as well. And so as we surrender to Jesus Christ and want to become more like him, it requires a total inside-out transformation, not just a tweak. You know, we're a Baptist church, and when we baptize people, we baptize them by what we call full immersion, meaning if we go to take you down and you put up a fight, we are going to put you all the way down, okay? 
Full immersion, water comes right up over your head. And the symbolism of it is important. You don't need a sprinkle or just a spot taken off. You aren't spiritually injured. You're spiritually dead. And you need a resurrection. You need to die to your own ways and to be lifted to new life in Christ. And as you think about being a disciple of Jesus, this is the work that God is trying to do in our hearts. So we can't just choose to follow him once because we will face old attitudes and old habits again and again and again that we need to surrender to him. And we'll get punched in the face every now and again and need to surrender to him again and again. And we've got no greater example of this than the apostle Peter. So I'm going to take just a minute, but I'm going to need your help. I want to go through the life of the Apostle Peter. And I'm going to just share with you some, high, some statements of kind of different events from his life. And I need you to help me, okay? I need you to give me a thumbs up if you think Peter is moving in the right direction. Or a thumbs down if you think that probably is not a good choice. Okay, can you do this? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? I know some of you aren't going to do this no matter how many times I ask you to. So let me just give you some statements, and you give me thumbs up, thumb down. Uh, Peter is called, Jesus calls Peter to follow him, and Peter leaves everything to follow him. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Yeah. Peter gets invited as a select group of people to join Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Thumbs up or thumbs down? That's pretty special. When Jesus asks the question, who do you think I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Yeah. Five minutes later, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Yeah. If you're unclear on that one, if Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad thing. At the Last Supper, Peter tells Jesus, I will never deny you. His intentions were good. Peter cuts the ear off of Malchus, the priest who's arrest, or the soldier who's arresting Jesus. Probably wasn't swinging for his ear. Peter disowns Jesus once. Peter disowns Jesus twice. Peter disowns Jesus a third time. After Jesus dies, Peter quits and goes back to fishing. Jesus shows up and calls Peter again, and Peter says yes. Now, maybe your spiritual journey feels a little bit like Peter's. Some ups some downs, some victories, some losses, some moments of tenderness where we sense the Lord's presence and his spirit working in our lives, and some moments of just stubborn hard-heartedness where God is asking something from us and we just keep saying no to him. I want us to zero in this morning on one of these encounters. It's the encounter where after Jesus has been crucified and died, Peter quits and goes back to fishing, and Jesus goes to meet him. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me today to John chapter 21, uh, starting at, we're going to look starting at verse 4. It's on page 1687, if you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, or you can just listen or look it up electronically as well. Uh, John chapter 21, starting at verse 4. Let me just read this for you. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, 
and you will find some. Now, again, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus calling Peter the first time, this sounds very familiar. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, coals, there was fish on it, and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many in the net, it was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, just imagine this for a minute. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Jesus said, he, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. Now, I'm struck by this conversation. It does not take Jesus long to get Peter and have this conversation with him where he speaks right to his heart. How many good life-giving conversations have you had around a campfire in your days? On one hand, Jesus wastes no time, and he gets right to the point and says to, to Peter, do you love me? Do you truly love me? Do you love me more than these things, whether it's fishing or other things that Peter had? I don't know if you can imagine sitting in a moment where you're across the table from Jesus having coffee or sitting around a campfire together and he looks you in the eye and says, do you love me? And Peter, of course, his feelings are hurt because Jesus has asked him three times. And I'm struck by Peter's heartfelt response. His un wavering clarity. Yes. Yes. I do love you, Lord. And he reinforces it a few times by saying, you know it. You know it because Peter has walked with Jesus for three years. He knows Jesus can do that spooky thing where he can look inside of your heart and tell if you're lying to him. That if you say one thing with your mouth but are thinking another thing in your heart, Jesus calls him on it. But not this time. He says to him, you know you hear my words, and you can look into my heart. And when you look into my heart, you know I truly do love you. And he pleads with Jesus. Look, you know why I quit. You know why I came back to fishing. You know I'm ashamed that I denied you, even though I said I wouldn't. You know I regret what happened. You know that you said, Peter, you're going to be the rock, and upon you I will build my church, and now look at me here. You know how I feel about that. 
And you know I'm, wonder, you wonder, I'm wondering whether I'm worthy of being your disciple. And you know that I do love you. Peter had truly chosen to love God. And then life happened and he made mistakes and he sinned and it all came undone. And maybe this resonates with you. Maybe your history with Jesus is a lot like Peter's history with Jesus. Some highs, some lows. Maybe you've said to him, look, I want to follow you, but things got difficult and I've been trying to follow you, but then I messed up and I didn't know if you'd want me anymore. I've got regrets and failures and, and you saw what happened and you know all the details. You know how I was raised. You know the anger that I struggle with. You know the sin that keeps sabotaging my faith. You know Jesus. And he does know. He knows all the things in your life, in my life, and in Peter's life. But catch this, that the God who knows it all came back to find Peter again and to ask him to follow him again. Jesus knew all about the woman at the well that she'd failed marriages and she was shacked up with some guy and he still showed up offering her living water. Jesus knew that the rich, young, good-looking ruler was spiritually poor and yet he still showed up offering him eternal life. And Jesus shows up on the beach to Peter who had quit knowing that everything had kind of fallen apart and he invites Peter the opportunity to get back in the game again, to choose again to love him. The message of the gospel is that God has not quit on you. If you've quit on God, maybe you quit on yourself. He has not quit on you. For all of our talk over these last few weeks about our choice to love God, he chose to love us first because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. His steadfast love, this is the language of covenant. It's God has pledged himself to you. He's bound himself to each and every one of us who follow him. And he's not going to give up on us. This affection that he has for us, it never ceases. And whether you wake up and you say, God, I'm not going to deny you, or you wake up and you deny him, his affection for you is the same. And that he who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. I am not going to be faithful to complete the good work that God has started in my life. He will be faithful to complete that work in my life. And he makes all things beautiful in his time. I was talking about this with someone in the foyer. Not our time. Unfortunately, not my time. In his time. God is working in our lives, each and every one of us, meaning no matter how ugly or broken your life might seem right now, he's not scared away by it, and he can make something beautiful because he is the God who can redeem all things. And this is the God who invites us to love him with all that we are because of this vision of what he wants to accomplish and can accomplish in each of our lives. And so each day we wake up and we say, God, I choose this life that you extend to me again. I choose this life and to reinforce it with a habit so that my heart will continue to grow in love for you so that I can experience more and more of your faithfulness for me. Let us pray.
God, we're grateful that you come looking for us when we've walked away from you. And maybe we've walked away, but we still show up, and we've got on the exterior this facade that says, hey, I'm still here. But maybe something in our heart has changed, and we've quit. We've quit on you. We've quit on ourselves. But we're grateful today that you don't quit on us. And that after your resurrection, you knew what Peter had done. You knew all that was going on in his life. And you went looking for him. And today, you know all the things that we have done. And you know all the things that are going on in our life. And you've come today looking for us. Inviting us to choose your way again. Give us the courage, we pray, to make that choice. Amen.